Thanks for checking out The Bridge Podcast, a ministry to St. Francis and the surrounding community. It's not a mistake you are here. We pray God speaks to you today. Service times are 9.30 and 11 a.m. Sunday mornings. Feel free to check us out at sfbridge.org. Have a life-giving week. Um, last weekend, I got to spend the weekend with 4,000 teenagers. I'm blessed. And I got a good nap Saturday. And so did the youth leaders that came with me. Um, but we had a great time. And at the youth convention, uh, we had great, you know, great fun. We did like football. We had just, just an awesome time. But I want to share why we do this and what it's all about. Um, Thursday night was opening night. And in the conference, what they had done is at the end of the message that night, they said, anybody who wants to receive Christ, we want to ask you forward uh, to come up and say yes to Jesus for the first time. And uh, they opened it up. And here I am with our group. We had 26 people with us at youth convention from the bridge. And I look over and half of our group is gone up front saying yes to Jesus Christ. Come on, is that not totally cool or what? So half of our group is not churched. That's what it's about, man. And uh, I just love that. And so we had first service today. I had Tim and I had Jasmine. Um, she's not here second service, but Jasmine was with us first service. Jasmine been, has been coming to the Bridge Church for three years. And uh, she was the one, that, one of the ones that had gone up. And I just said, hey, do you want to come just share Sunday morning? And uh, her mom said she could come share first service. And Jasmine just said yes to Christ for the first time this Thursday night. And I said, well, why did you do that? She's like, I just want to get to know Jesus more. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? I just, I love that. And so then on the way down, this cool looking dude up here, him and I were talking, he was riding shotgun in, in my uh, vehicle. And I just said, hey, I said, Tim, do you remember, you know, a couple years ago when we were doing this? And two, two years ago, I think we had like, six of us, wasn't there? Six or seven of us, this year's 26. And I said, hey, tell me, you know, last time we went, you know, you were questioning God, where are you at? And uh, I just asked him, I said, would you be comfortable just kind of sharing the story of from point A to point B? And it's a really cool story. So um, I'll shut up. It's better coming from him, so I'm going to let him just share here for a moment what happened in the last couple of years. Should I sit down? Or are you just taking the pulpit and preaching, bud, or what? All right. Well, I'm Tim, and I've been going to the bridge for about three years now, and... I came to this church completely on accident. It was kind of a punishment, I want to say. Because me and my buddy Nash decided one day we were going to pick up a couch off the side of the road that was free. And we drug it into my yard and tore it apart. And no one knew who did it, but my parents knew who did it. So I ended up here in the building for the first time since I was about 12 for punishment for youth group. And I didn't think, like, I didn't think this was going to be something I was going to do ever again. I was just going to get it over with. But we ended up playing Capture the Flag, and it was pretty fun. So I ended up coming back. And then I did the altar call thing where I went down and I gave my life to Jesus the first youth convention, so two years ago, and then I did 
just kind of built up from there. And then this year we went, and I went down for the altar call not to give my life to Jesus, but to support others giving their life to Christ. And there was two people standing in front of me. There was a guy to my left and a girl to my right, and they almost looked like they were pushed all the way to the front like they didn't want to be up there but they were pushed that way down there anyways and we were praying and they didn't really move at all so they started the song it was really it was really mellow really low down and i just put each of my hands on one of their shoulders and about not even 10 seconds later after i took my hands away both sets arms shot up in the air and I just realized that I just gave two people I showed them the way to Jesus that's awesome thanks man give it up for that come on it was a a great experience it was great so awesome awesome get to know that guy man god's doing some stuff and i don't uh for the for one bit do i think that that was a mistake at all that uh your parents made you through your punishment bro so i'm just saying so hey this is what i want to do uh, we're going to receive our tithes and our offerings this morning so would you do this with me this morning would you just pray and uh ushers once you guys come on down right now and let's pray we're going to receive again if you're new here please don't ever feel any um, push from us to give even if you're a bridge church member all we just ask is that You'd ask the Holy Spirit what to do. We believe in tithing. There you go. It's that simple. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning. I ask that you would bless our time, bless this offering. Would you expand it? Would you multiply it? Would you do a miraculous thing through this offering this morning? It's our form of worship to you right now, God. Lord, would we give joyfully unto you, not out of obligation or, or anything other than the call of your spirit, Lord. Have your way in our hearts this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, I am pumped, man. This movie this morning, we're talking about Inception, and just show of hands here, who here has seen the movie Inception? Really? Wow. All right, we're going to have to get everybody on the same page. All right, it's like on my top 10 list, man. I love this movie. Okay, so here's, and who, okay, so here's the deal. We get everybody on the same page. Here's the movie. Inception, all it means is that somebody is uploading a dream into their imagination, actually forcing them to dream something that they've never dreamed before. And so in the movie, the poster's up here. Uh, it's done by Christopher Nolan. He's one of my favorite producers and, and writers. He's just incredible. The guy just has an incredible imagination. And he puts this entire movie together. And basically what takes place is, he, first of all, he develops um, Leonardo Decapitated as one of the leads. Now, um, I have to be very honest with you. He's probably one of my least favorite actors. However, and I don't know how you say his last name, Decapitated, Decapitated, whatever. And, and I just thought he did a really good job in this movie okay he wasn't in the front of a ship like screaming or anything like that and so it was just really well done and so Christopher Nolan comes up with this idea and he produces this crazy movie where he decides we're going to implant dreams into people to heist actually different businesses and so there's this group of people and they have a monopoly on a business and he decides to take these like the bad guys and you're actually rooting for the bad guys on the movie for them to do this heist and they actually implant a dream within the dream of a dream of a dream within a dream. 
You ever had a dream within a dream? You ever, have you ever done it? Okay, I did one time. Here's what happened to me. As a kid, and I still to this day, I'm deathly afraid of snakes and spiders. It's not like, usually it's like one or the other. For me, it's both. I don't like either, okay? And here's why. You know what my mom told me growing up? It was all lies, all right? She said, every night, she said, you will swallow two to three spiders in your sleep. That's gross, mom. Don't tell me that ever again. I was like three, you know? You don't say that to a kid. And then she goes on to tell me, she says, and by the way, after you swallow them, sometimes they will actually implant their egg nest into your cheek and the eggs will start popping out. So she's like, if you someday think it's a pimple, it might not be. And I'm like, ew, that's so gross. And so I went to bed that night and we watched that movie and my dad made me watch Arachnophobia. That was awful. And all these just horrible movies about spiders and all this. And I didn't like snakes. I'm an Indiana Jones guy, but when he falls into the snake pit, I was like, ah, I just can't do that. And so I had all this going on mentally and I fall asleep that night and I have this dream that I'm standing in front of a mirror and in my cheek, I've got like, you know, spider nest going on. And outside of my cheek, they all start crawling out and down. And I'm like, ah! And I like think I wake up, but I didn't actually wake up. Has that happened to you? Do you, you like think you're awake now because you thought you woke up from the dream? And then all of a sudden, a snake like starts coming towards me. I'm like, what is going on? And I woke up again. Finally, I was like, okay, I'm awake. If I'm not awake, then I've been living a dream for 20 years now. But okay, that was just crazy. And so this is the whole concept of this movie. There's a guy that owns a business, and they're trying to implant into him, you know, to basically dissolve his father's business so this other guy can monopolize on it. And so they hoist, they heist a plane, and the, and the captain of the plane, and the stewardess of the plane, and they get the guy on, and, and through a series of drugs and other things we're not talking about too much, they make him pass out, and, and then they perform inception on this guy. And so he's dreaming from point A in the plane to point B, and he thinks it's just a dream but they go so deep into his subconscious that he actually ends up doing what they want. He dissolves his father's business, you know, and, and so this, this is what takes place in this movie. And it's just crazy. And so if you've never seen it, that's okay. I want to show you just a short clip. But what it is is they actually develop what the dream looks like. They actually have architects who build the dream. And so the scene I want to show you this morning is, is Leonardo decapitated with the other lady, and they're sitting across from each other at this table, and they're talking, and he tar- starts talking to her about the dream world and what it's really like. So here we go. Uh, put your eyes to the screen for just a moment. They say we only use a fraction of our brain's true potential. Now, that's when we're awake. When we're asleep, our mind can do almost anything. Such as? Well, imagine you're designing a building, right? You consciously create each aspect. But sometimes it feels like it's almost creating itself, if you know what I mean. Yeah, Yeah, like I'm discovering it. Genuine inspiration, right? Mm -hmm. Now, in a dream, our mind continuously does this. We create and perceive our world simultaneously. And our mind does this so well that we don't even know what's happening. That allows us to get right in the middle of that process. How? By taking over the creating part. Now, this is where I need you. You create the world of the dream. We bring the subject into that dream, and they fill it with their subconscious. How could I ever acquire enough detail to make them think that it's reality? Well, dreams, they feel real while we're in them, right? It's only when we wake up that we realize something is actually strange. Let me ask you a question. You never really 
remember the beginning of a dream, do you? You always wind up right in the middle of what's going on. I guess, yeah. So how did we end up here? Well, we just came from the, uh... Think about it, Ariadne. How did you get here? Where are you right now? We're dreaming? You're actually in the middle of the workshop right now, sleeping. This is your first lesson in shared dreaming. Stay calm. about is Christopher Nolan who put this together just his imagination of what the dream world will actually be like one of my favorite scenes is while they're here they actually have one of the host cities like comes on top of them and it just like folds over and they're looking up at what used to be down now here's the thing I love love the ending of this movie it is like one of my favorite endings of the movie. my wife thinks it's the worst okay and uh, if you've never seen this movie, you've got to see the ending because it leaves you hanging. How many love the ending of Inception? Do you? Anybody? Who hated the ending to Inception? Yeah, it's like 50-50, man. There's so many blogs written on it because you don't know exactly what takes place. They kind of leave you hanging. It's like, no, <laughs> at the end. And I just love that. My wife's like, I think she's going to like confront Christopher Nolan someday and like punch him in the face and be like, I want to know what you really meant at the end of this movie. For those of you that haven't seen it, you have no idea what I'm talking about. That's okay. All right, so here's what I want to do. Today, talking about Inception, by popular demand, a lot of you wanted something on Inception. And so I'm going to give you something on Inception. I'm going to give you something that's going to take your minds to a whole new level this morning. So what I want to do this morning is I want to pose to you a hypothesis, okay? And so I, I, want, to, I want to make you a little gritty this morning. I want to make you a little mad. I want to make you like, for those of you, and really this morning's message, I try to make sure that our messages are focused on those of you that are new to the faith and those of you that have been a Christian a long time. I'm really picking on those of you this morning that have been a Christian a long time. Now, if you're new to the faith, you'll still gain something, but I want to challenge the beliefs of those that have been Christians a long time. I want to challenge what you think about Christianity in a whole new way to the point where God does inception in your mind in something creatively new that you've never thought about before. And here's the hypothesis that will tick you off today. Here it is. Here we go. All right. This is my hypothesis to you for all of us this morning. Reading the Bible with our imagination is crucial for understanding and comprehending God's Word. <laughs> what? <laughs> what did you just say? That's heresy. I'm out of here. One person already left. Thank God no one else has. Okay, so here's the deal. All right. You might be, what, what do you mean? Our imagination and interpreting scripture? Are you crazy? We could have like millions of different interpretations. What's going to happen? How's there going to be truth? What's going to go on? I got to leave. Ah! It's not that bad. It's okay. Stay with me. You with me? Are you scared yet? Good. Okay, so here's the deal. All right, so here's the deal. God has given you, 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 you. He's giving you an incredible mind with a potentially incredible imagination in which he can perform inception, even when you're reading the Word of God. That's what he can do, okay? Just as dreams in this movie go layers deep, 
so does comprehending scripture. I'm going to prove it to you this morning. So this is what I need everyone to do, okay? I need everyone to do, I need you to grab your iPhone, your iPad, your, your whatever, your 486K, whatever you have with you this morning, okay? Grab it or grab a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, steal a Bible from a friend, okay? Make a friend steal a Bible. Grab your Bible right now. If you have it, if you have it. If you don't have it, don't worry. This is what I want you to do. We're going to take 30 seconds for awkward silence, and this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to any scripture in the Bible, one verse. You have the version app. You can use the verse of the day. It doesn't matter. I want you to pick out one verse right now, anywhere in the Bible. I want you to read it. Okay, that's all I want you to do. Anybody, anywhere in, this whole, in the whole sanctuary right now, just pick it out. Grab your Bible. Okay, I'm going to give you a second. I know our Wi-Fi is a little slow here. And you can go on and pick one verse to read. If you don't have a Bible, I'll give you one verse, but I want to wait till everybody has a chance to read theirs, okay? So here we go, 30 seconds of awkward silence. Read the verse that you just picked out. It can be anything. Fifteen seconds. All right. Remember your verse. We're going to come back to it in just a moment. But when we read the Scripture, when we read the Word of God, we have these different levels that we go through, just like we do in inception with the dream reality. The first thing that you just read were simply words, okay? Number one, it's just words that you read, all right? I have what's called an interlinear Bible that's all about the words, okay? You grab it, you can read it. It has the Greek in it, it has the Hebrew in it, and it has what's called a literal translation. In other words, what a literal translation does is it takes everything without any historical context, it takes everything without putting anything in there, and it just reads verbatim, word for word, what the interpretation is of the oldest manuscripts that we have to interpret. That's all that does. And so it's just words on a page is it, okay? Let me give you an example of what that is. How many remember the Iowa stupid test, or standard test, Iowa basic standard test? You remember that thing? Oh my gosh, the thing was from the pits of, you know, you remember that? That thing was awful, awful. Now you have, what is it, the test that you guys have today? MCAs. Oh, I just, when I hear my kids say that, I just, I kind of choke up a little. All right? I did not like those. And here's what I didn't like about it. I was awful in comprehension. And I would read the words, and I was so under pressure. I'm like, I got to read the words, and I got to comprehend it, and I got to put it on, on paper. And it was like, this is not my gift. I'm like, I can't do this. Ah, I hated it. And so it's just that beginning first step is just reading the word, not even comprehending. The second thing is comprehending the words. You know, finally we get to a place of going, okay, the verse you just read, going, all right. It's not just words. I, I, I can kind of comprehend. I can maybe see a little bit about what this word means. Third is then we paint the picture in our mind. We automatically start picturing what it is that we're reading, okay? If we're comprehending. If you're not comprehending, we've got to stop there. But the third part is we start painting the picture. We have inception go on in our mind going, okay, I think this looks like X, Y, Z. And we paint a picture mentally of what's taking place biblically. Fourth is this. We've got to add the historical context. Well, what really happened around here? Who was going on? Who was this really written to? Why was it written to them? At what time and point in time of history was it written to? Was it Old Testament? Was it New Testament? Was there a war? Was it a time of peace? Who was the king? Was there not a king? Was there a judge? All of this, we put this together to understand and comprehend exactly what that scripture means. The number five is using your imagination to put it all together, to take the words, to take the comprehension, the picture that you just painted, looking at the historical context, and then going, okay, I think this is what's really taking place. 
Now bear with me, stay with me, don't get mad at me quite yet. Okay, we'll talk about that. Because here's the deal. If we just stopped there with our imagination, we missed it. What we have to do with our imagination that I believe is God-given because we're all creative in a certain aspect or another is then the final thing, number six, is we have got to allow the Holy Spirit to bring it to life. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, it's just words on a page. Or it's an imagination that's maybe not even what God intended. We've got to make sure it's what God intended for us to imagine. But he wants us to use our imagination. He wants to use the creative side, both sides of our brain. And so as Christians, we must read the Bible for all it's worth. Now maybe you're going, I'm not there yet. That's okay. But if we are a Christ follower, is there any reason why we would not want to read the word of God for all it's worth? Any reason at all? Is there any reason as a Christian that we would not want to read the word of God for all it's worth? Maybe you're thinking, well, why should I bother? Maybe you don't even like to read. That's where I was. They're like, man, if the Bible wasn't words, I'd love it. Well, you have YouTube now. You can listen to it. And I'm not talking about just getting our 10 minutes in of reading it, but actually taking time to study it and look at it. For those of you that didn't have a verse, here's yours. It's Genesis 1.1. First verse in the Bible. You know it. You can say it with me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, that's your verse. I want you to think about it. What did you just imagine? What did you think about? What are you thinking about right now? In the beginning, God created the heavens and and the earth. It shouldn't, our devotional life, our time with God, shouldn't just be a 10 minute thing that we have to do. It should be like, man, I didn't get my version app reading time in for the day, or I didn't do, no, that's religion. This should be a relationship going, I want to do this. I want to study it. Genesis chapter 1, 1, I can talk to you for hours on it. I love it. You know, when we look at that verse, well, what, it, what really happened? There, there's, there's words within there, grammatical words that were placed in there later because in the Hebrew, there were no vowels. There's all of that. Historically, who wrote it? Where was it written? Why was it written? All of this. In fact, I took 30 days in my devotional life to spend on Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, because I wanted to study it out. I wanted to learn what does it really mean. Now, I can tell you what that verse means. I can tell you what the Bible means at places, or I can teach you and help you to figure out on your own what it means. What's better for you? I... uh, let me ask this. How many people here love working on cars? Or are you really good at working on cars? Any, any? A few of you? A few of you? Okay. We had a few first service. I know there's a couple here that are good working on cars. Um, to me, they're of the devil. Um, here's what happened. When I was 17 years old, some of you know this story, the rack and pinion on my car went out. A very few of people that I know know what a rack and pinion is, okay? It's, again, from Satan, all right? And um, yet... I decided I want to learn how to do this on my own. I was all brave and proud of myself. And I went to my dad. I'm like, Dad, I need help replacing a rack and penny on my car. You know, otherwise, I, I'm a college kid. I can't spend 1200 bucks to do it. I need to do it myself. It only costs 300 And he's like, I don't even know what that is, my dad told me. I'm going, all right, we'll do this together. And so I went to the library, and I checked out a Chilton manual on how to do this. You know what that, it's like, it's like a book, like 3 million pages thick on how to do stuff on cars, Okay. And they have one for each make and model of each car. The thing's huge and enormous, and I, it's like written in a whole other language that I don't understand. And I'm reading it, and it says in there, it says estimated time of each job. And in this book, it said estimated time of doing a rack and was three to four hours on the car. I'll tell you why I don't work on cars anymore and why my wife and I have a budget to bring it to people. Sixteen hours later, 
after we have it complete, it didn't fix the problem. It was awful. So I just bring it to people now that know way more about it than I do. Here's the problem with that. We can't do that with our faith. We can't go up to me and say, Pastor Chris, I just need you to help me with my faith today. No, you have to own it. I can't own it for you, okay? And so I want desperately, for, for some of us, we're going, man, the Bible's like one of those Chilton manuals that says I'm going to figure this out in three to four hours. I've been figuring it out for 15 years. That's okay. God wants you to understand and comprehend the Word of God in a way that you've never experienced, I believe, today. I believe that. See, the Bible is our roadmap for life. It's our travel guide, our instruction manual. It's our GPS. And I don't like to use GPS, Global Positioning System. I say HPS. It's our heart positioning system. Where's my heart at with my relationship with God? So here, let me share this scripture with you. Matt prayed this already through this morning. 2 Timothy 3.16. It's that all scripture, how much scripture? All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and for all righteousness righteousness just means so that we're in right standing with god see paul wrote this to christians and it's vital for all believers the word of god it's our fail-safe guide this is it and so going back to our hypothesis about using imagination how does it all work how do we put this together first let me say this i'm gonna step on some toes right here and i really mean it on purpose um first objective biblical somebody got that first objective Biblical interpretation is not achievable. What does that mean? Is he talking heresy? Just stay with me. Okay. Now I want to be careful here and make sure, though, that even though biblical objectivity is not plausible, it does not downplay the fact that the Word of God is and always will be absolute truth. Let me share what I mean. John chapter 17, verse 17. It says this, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. God's word is truth. There's no non-truth in the word of God. I have over 900 different translations I use, okay? They're all a little bit different. They discovered recently the Quran, not the, the Qumran, not the Quran, Quran. The Quran was um, written years ago. It had Isaiah in it, books of the Bible. They discovered in a cave over by Iran. And they decided to look at all the interpretations of the Bible we had today because this was the earliest manuscript that we have of the original text of the Bible. And professors went back and they had multiple professors, Jewish professors, Christian professors, and they looked at it. And to this day, they said, wow, it's incredible. Even with all the translations we have, with this earliest manuscript that we, you know, we discovered in 1946, you know, almost every translation was still right on compared to the beginning manuscript that we had. God protects his truth over and over down. You might say, oh, it's a 2,000-year-old book. Well, it's a 2,000-year-old compilation of 66 books that make up our word of God. And if you're Catholic, there's even more, okay? And so we have these 66 books of truth in our Protestant Bible. Well, let me say this. Without absolute truth, you might as well just throw the whole thing out. Right? Without absolute truth, why do we look at it? According to George Barna, he's a researcher, and this was 14 years ago, in 2002, it breaks my heart, let's be honest with you, only 44% of born-again Christian adults believe in absolute truth, that the Bible's absolute truth. Only 40, that's about half of us. Of teenagers, ages 13 to 19, 
only 9% believe that the Bible is actually true. Without absolute truth, we might as well throw it all out. So let me ask, how is it possible then, because it might seem like I'm talking two different things here this morning, how is it that we can have absolute truth with biblical subjectivity? How can we have it? How can we do that? How does it make sense? I'm going to prove it to you this morning. Take John chapter 14, verse 6, and I need everybody to be with me here this morning. So if you agree with it, I want you to shout, yeah. If you don't know, you can stay silent. But if you agree, I need you to say, yeah. So John chapter 14, verse 6, here it is. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, here's what I want you to say. If if you agree with what I'm about to ask, I want you to say yes. Can we agree that according to this verse, Jesus is the only way to eternal life? Yes. Can we agree that according to this verse, he is the way, the truth, and the life? Probably yes, okay, if we're a Christ follower. If you're not, that's all right, man. Welcome to the club. But here's where it gets a little interesting. Can we all agree on what Jesus looked like when he shared this? There's probably no way, okay? Can we agree if he is talking only about life eternal, or was he talking about life now? Can we agree that this verse was written just to his disciples, or he had you and I in mind, or was it both at the time? Can we agree on all the motivations of why Jesus mentions this, or can we all agree on what it looks like coming to the Father? Remember your verse? Go back to your verse for a moment. For those of you that didn't have one, remember Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Take your verse. If I said all of us take Genesis chapter 1-1 or John 14, 6, we take one of these verses, and I said, what I want you to do is I want you to take out a sheet of paper, and I want you to write on a sheet of paper a word picture of what that looks like to you, okay? You, you just draw it out. Grab some crayons, grab some markers, whatever, and just draw it out, a picture of what you think that verse is saying, all right? Would any of our pictures be the same? So are they all wrong? Does God's truth remain still? does. So here's the deal. We're taking a little deeper this morning. Here's the deal. Something I have learned in college, we're just taking a step deeper here this morning, is there's something called exegetical preaching and teaching. You have what's called exegesis and insegesis, okay? Now, exegesis, insegesis, is that there's two different things, or eisegesis, excuse me. I'm not talking J-E-S-U-S, so we're not like exing Jesus, okay? Just know that, all right? Exegesis G-E-S-I-S. You have exegesis and eisegesis exegesis, two big words, it's all right, exegesis just means we're going to look at scripture, we're going to take out of scripture what it's actually saying and representing, okay, where we have isogesis, what what happens here is we go, man, I'm going to read it, I'm going to put into scripture what I want it to say, it's a huge difference, we're to exegete, not isogete, God wants us to be exegeters of his word, he wants us to realize his word for all that it is, then we have, on top of that, we have something called funnel theology, all right? If you think back to mechanics, like a funnel you'd pour gas into. Think of that kind of funnel. And here's what I want you to think of. I want you to look over here, all right? The top of the funnel is like the, the hipster-looking chipotle silver thing, all right? I don't know what they call that thing over there, all right? So that, that's the top of the funnel on one end, and then on the other end is the naked wall. I don't, I don't know what to call that. So over, we need like some, something cool over there, but we don't have anything right now. So up there, on the top of that wall and the top of the hipster chipotle wall, that's the top of the funnel. The top of the funnel says... 
Jesus is Lord. It says Jesus is the way, he's the truth, he's the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. It says, you know, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's where it says, for whoever believes in him will receive eternal life. That's the top funnel where every Christian church can agree. And then what happens to the funnel? What does a funnel do? And you know what happens to us? We're older in the faith and more wise we think in the faith because we want it deeper. We want deeper theology all the time. What happens is we get stuck on our little pets. And what happens to the people that are falling away from Christ is like, well, no, it really means this. No, Jesus had dreadlocks, man. It matters. It matters. No, his robe wasn't white. It was ivory. And we get stuck down here. And we get stuck on these things that really God doesn't give a crap about. Hate to break it to you. Okay, yeah, I said crap. And up here, you've got the chipotle looking thing and you've got the naked wall. And Jesus is like, you know what? I want to cast a wide net. Yeah, he wants churches to be deep, but he also wants them to be wide. Knowing the depths is knowing God's heart of saying, hey, there's always room for one more. There's always room for one more. Yeah, it's getting to know him. It's getting to know his word. But realizing that God wants to speak to us through his word. And so don't get caught up on the little things. You know, if you compared your picture, if you had Genesis 1-1, and your heavens look a certain way, and somebody else's heavens look a different don't start fighting over who, whose heaven looks better. Ah, no. Okay? No. God just allowed you to use your imagination, but don't forget who gave you that imagination to receive the revelation of which he put in your heart and your mind. Here's what's most amazing about God in this whole message coming to a conclusion here of inception. Do you realize that God trusts you and me? He trusts us. He trust us to interpret. In fact, Hebrews 4, 14 says, therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we profess. We believe Jesus is the son of God. What does this verse say our high priest is? Who is it? Who's our high priest? Jesus is. Not a priest, not a pastor, okay? Not an elder in the church, but Jesus Christ alone. He's basically saying, you don't have to go to the pastor to interpret the scriptures. You don't have to go to the father. You don't have to go to, to you know, the, the priest, the priest father, to go, hey, forgive me my sins. You can go directly to God because we have access through Jesus Christ. Okay? We can interpret scriptures because we have access through Christ. He calls each and every one of us to be a minister of the gospel according to Hebrews. And so we don't need that high priest any longer to in scripture. He allows us to have that relationship. Here's one of my favorite verses in my Bible. It's 1 John chapter 2, verse 27. It says, as for you, okay, or me, you know, everybody say me. Me, it's for you. As for me, the anointing you received remains in you. And you don't need anyone to what? Teach you. You don't need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as he has taught you, remain in him. You see, John's writing to the early Christian church, and he's warning them about antichrist people in the last days. He's telling them, buckle up and hold on to truth, because it's going to get a little tough in your culture. You know what he's saying? He's, he's saying this. He says, he's saying, you know what? In a few days, either Hillary or Trump is going to be your president. He's saying, in a few days, something's going to happen. He's going to say, in a few days, people are going to be upset. People aren't going to be happy with everything you do in life. They're not going to like that you're a Christian. In fact, in other countries, they're going to kill you for it. Kind of sounds like John wrote that today, doesn't it? A little bit. That's who Jesus is. And so Jesus 
is alive today through the Holy Spirit, speaking to us through His Word of God. Let me close by saying this. One of the most overlooked vital parts of looking at the Bible or searching for truth or understanding God is utilizing our imagination, okay? It's vital, it's vital. Inception, it plants ideas in people's imagination, in their dream. But our imagination is vital to see scripture clearly, to comprehend it, to understand it. And let me ask you this, don't you think that God is big enough to know that each one of us is gonna paint a picture inside of our minds every time we read something. And that's gonna be a little different, okay? For us to comprehend it. So all of us think a little differently, okay? You can ask my wife. Her and I think differently all the time. But that's okay. Let me prove it to you with Veggie Tales. When they marched the walls of Jericho with Joshua and his army, were purple slushies actually thrown at them? I'll give you the answer, no. Okay? You thought so. Please read the book of Joshua this week. All right. Second is this. There's the movie Esther, a VeggieTales movie. And when people get banished, they get banished in the VeggieTales version of the story of Esther to the island of perpetual tickling. Sounds awful. I get it. Is that really what happens? No, but guess what? Some of us, God has to start somewhere. Some of us, when they were 16, and they saw the VeggieTales movie, and they thought, wow, God is really for them. God used purple slushies to do it. Now, it's not biblical. That's not what he's saying. I'm not saying we're to paint a picture that way. God still used that. Okay? He did. You see, we need to gain practical application, realizing God is active and alive. And let me say this. I have a lot of people that say, man, we love the Bridge Church. I can come to you. I can ask you, Pastor Chris, anything. And, and you can ask some people, when they ask me a theological question, I usually won't answer them. I will answer them with the question because I want them to learn on their own. I want you guys to get it, you know? That's where I was at. That's coaching, that's training, that's discipling, learning, okay? Not just getting the answers, but to be okay with questions, to be okay with them. These people will come to me and say, man, you're okay with that. My other pastor or priest, I couldn't question anything. You can question anything here you want, okay? That's okay. The freedom part is I don't have all the answers. Only Tim does, okay? No, I don't have, Tim doesn't either. Only God has all the answers. And here's why I believe he has the answers and why we continue to have questions. Maybe things in life have happened that you don't understand. Okay? It's part of our life. But let me say this, and I want you to hold on to this this morning. As we're talking inception, talking about God and our imagination, reading the scripture for all it's worth, realizing that it is absolute truth. It's still okay to question God. And here's why. If we had all the answers we would stop asking God the question. He wants to have a relationship with us. And we don't contradict, excuse me, we don't reject the Bible because it contradicts itself. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.